Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views. This week, we kick off a special two-part series recognizing some of the honorees for Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40 for 2022. It's exciting to recognize a handful of these leaders who are representing the entire class of the 40 top leaders in the industry under the age of 40, as noted by Mass Transit Magazine. And we have with us today as well, the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Misha Wanek-Libman, who works with us each year uh, to identify and then promote the show. Uh, And she'll be a co-host this time with me again. She's here today with two leaders, Kaylee Kleek and Sapna Shah, both from the East Coast of the United States. And then next week, we'll have uh, part two of the series. Looking forward to uh, all these interviews. They are great interviews. First off, though, a couple of uh, good news items coming out of the week of Thanksgiving here in the U.S. WMATA, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, recently celebrated the opening of the Silver Line extension. It's been a long time coming. Uh, Back when I worked there... mm, a while ago. <laughs> we were working on it then, I remember, and uh, it's finally finished. They connected customers to six new stations, added almost 11 and a half miles of track to the Metro Rail system, and beginning operations at a modern rail maintenance facility. The Silver Line extension gives customers a new connection to Washington Dulles International Airport. Uh, and new service between Reston, Virginia and Eastern Loudoun County. The grand opening also marks the completion of the Silver Line Project, a generational infrastructure investment in Northern Virginia. Congratulations to WMATA General Manager and CEO Randy Clark, as well as prior CEOs, including Paul Wiedefeld, who worked so hard uh, for this day to actually come about. It's a great new addition to uh, the public transit infrastructure in the nation's capital region. In that same vein, Amtrak is advancing the planned replacement of the 116-year-old Susquehanna River Rail Bridge with two new bridges that will increase capacity and improve reliability of both freight and passenger trains. The existing structure is the Northeast Corridor's longest movable bridge, where crossing the bridge requires train to slow to a speed of 90 miles per hour, resulting in capacity and reliability constraints. To resolve this issue, two newly constructed Two-track fixed bridges will replace the existing two-track movable bridge, along with five miles of additional track realignment and construction. The estimated construction cost for the bridge replacement project is about $1.5 billion. Amtrak Executive Vice President Laura Mason said the bridge was built by the Pennsylvania Railroad at the turn of the 20th century. And while it was well-constructed and remained safe, it is a significant bottleneck on the Northeast Corridor. Once complete, both new bridges will reduce trip time and improve reliability for passenger and freight trains that rely on this critical connection, she said. The bridge is in Harford County, Maryland, my home state, and is used by more than 110 Amtrak, Maryland Area Regional Commuter Rail, that's Mark Train, the the, uh, commuter train in D.C. that I used to run, and Norfolk Southern trains per day. In addition to the new structures, the overhead power, signal, safety, and security systems will be modernized. That is a great uh, addition that, again, has been waited for for a long time. Two really good news stories on the infrastructure side. And now we're going to kick off our two-part series honoring some of Mass Transit Magazine's top 40 under 40. The folks who are recognized this year will do an interview with Kaylee Cleek. And then Sapna Shah from New York City, as well as our normal contributors, Alea Carey and Mike. It's going to be a great episode today. Thanks for being with us on Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort, and this week we're kicking off a special two-part series 
honoring some of Mass Transit Magazine's top 40 under 40 honorees. We're excited to have with us the editor-in-chief of the magazine, Misha wanak Libman, as well as Kaylee Cleek, who's one of the honorees. We'll kick it off with Misha. Misha, this is, um, I think, the third or fourth year we've done this. We've uh, recognized our up-and-coming leaders. I remember way back when, when I got started in the business uh, over 30 years ago, I was always the youngest person in the room to start with. And I think it's important to honor and recognize those like you've done at the magazine who are uh, in the first half of their career, let's say, and are still on that upward climb. Tell us about the magazine a little bit itself and this program you've got going, which has really become, it's taken on a life of its own. Uh, it's like, you know, it's almost like the uh, Oscars of transit, you know, for young younger people. So it's very exciting. Right. Well, we'll use that as the tagline next year, the Oscars for for the transit folks. Yeah. So we've we've been doing our 40 under 40 uh, honor honoree program uh, since 2008. Um, This year we had upwards of 180 nominations, which uh, is a a new record for us. we evaluate each nomination based on four main criteria, uh, achievement, commitment, innovation, and involvement. Uh, and as the program has grown, uh, I, I'm really kind of proud that the the folks that we've been able to honor, um, at least since I've been involved in it, have, have really been strong in all four of those criteria. Um, it is important, we believe, to... Um, Give give the folks, like you said, in the first half of their career, the spotlight. Um, I think there's there's ample opportunity for us to highlight the C-suite or the executive directors and, and other leaders within the industry. And this really gives a chance to, to share that spotlight and say, well, these you know, it, it highlights good leadership. Uh, it, it highlights innovation. It, it highlights the folks that are really going to uh, take the transit industry to that next level uh, and and beyond from what beyond what my working career will be, probably what your working career will be, Paul. So uh, it's exciting, um, and and each year it's a lot of work, but it's always exciting to see the the finished result and to get to share uh, all the all the you know, growing talent and develop talent that we get to to see early on. Yeah. You know so, what I love about it too? I think that's great. I also love how diverse the awards are. So it is a really good, what I would say, a good cross section of mm-hmm. the industry. Uh, and we've picked some um, some folks, uh, including Kaylee Cleek, who to kind of represent the class this year on the program. And Kaylee, you have been uh, with GreenLink, which is uh, Greenville Transit Authority in Greenville, South Carolina. You've been their transit manager for several years, right? Yeah, just a couple. Yeah, okay. So tell us a little about yourself, Kaylee, and what you do there. Sure. So my name is Kaylee Cleek. I'm the transit planning manager for GreenLink. And we're a smaller transit agency, so that means that I get to wear a few different hats. I oversee all of our planning. That includes bus route design, bus stop infrastructure. I'm also over facilities maintenance, so maintaining our facilities as well as the bus stops themselves. And then I'm also over our grants program. So I write and administer all of our grant funding. And let tell us a little bit about that grant funding. Cause I when we published, I think you had upwards of 40 million active grants that you were managing with another 34 million in the pipeline. So uh tell us how that was coming into the position. Cause I to me, I say 40 million dollars, that's monopoly money, right? But that's real money. That's <laughs> taxpayer money. That's that's money that can make a real difference in people's lives. So tell us uh how that works out in your position. 
And you hit the nail on the head, right? It is what changes people's lives. And I think the grants piece is one of my favorite parts of my job. And so um, I do manage about, I think it's gone down a little bit, about $40 million in grant funding. And that's a variety of competitive funding and then formula funding as well. So just maintaining our regular operations throughout the years. But then we have special projects going on. Like we have a new ITS system that we're um, launching soon. And then we're working on building a new operations and maintenance facility. So that's a large piece of that funding. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get all $34 million, but I did get about $6 million for bus stop improvements. So we're actually going to be able to upgrade about 336 of our bus stops to ADA compliance with different seating options and lighting um, over the course of the next two or three years. That's great. Kaylee, what interested you in working for a transit agency? Uh, you know, what's your educational background and, and uh, what got you interested in coming to work for one? Sure. So I graduated from the University of Georgia, so go dogs. Um, mm-hmm. My undergrad was political science. I have a master's in public administration and a little fun fact, I have a minor in Japanese. Um, wow. I don't use it at all, but I do. Actually, <laughs> one of my coworkers has a master's in Japanese. So there's something about us in transit that kind of links us all together. <laughs> anyway, so I worked for the Middle Georgia Regional Commission right out of college. And we did planning and grant writing for about 30, 31 different communities in the Middle Georgia area. And I loved that. I didn't really like making so much. Um, So I ended up just discovering Greenville, looked at the different job opportunities here. And the one that stood out to me was transit planning and grants coordinator role, because that's what this, originally that's what I was before I moved into the manager position. And so I really just kind of fell into transit, but I've stayed because this is one of those planning roles where you're actually doing actionable things. The things we're planning today, we're implementing within the next year or two. And you don't always get that with the different types of planning roles that are out there. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think that somebody in the role of the planning manager who oversees the capital budget as well is in a, a real unique position to really understand what the whole agency does. I know that Holly Arnold, who uh, is the CEO of MTA in Baltimore, you know, she started out in planning uh, and became the head of capital planning, then became the head of engineering and now a CEO of the agency. And she told me last time I talked to her, you know, that that job she had back in planning was a great um a great place to learn about the whole agency. Do you find that as well, that planning is a great place to do that? Oh, yes. Like I'm involved in our transit asset management planning and then the capital projects planning. And there's just different elements that if I was in a different role, I might not have been able to touch. And so I've learned a large breadth of things because I get to touch so many things. Misha, what other things did you all look at when selecting Kaylee and others like her? So Kaylee had some unique things in her her nomination. So um, she's doing some interesting things with their uh, DBE program. She's she also serves as their uh, disadvantaged uh, business enterprise liaison officer uh, and has kind of helped reshaped that program. Um, and the other thing that stood out that I thought was kind of fun was a. a we can talk about it shortly as a program called Blueville or a platform called Blueville, which I thought was kind of an interesting engagement platform. So uh, Kaylee, I don't know if you want to take on either one of those subjects first, or I know they're, they're two wildly different ones, but yeah, uh, both, both really stood out. I'll take on Blueville because that's a fan favorite. So um, I joined Greenlink back in January of 2019 
And during that time frame, we had just launched something called our Citizens Transit Academy. So every January and February of each year, we actually host about 20 different um, individuals from the community that want to learn more about GreenLink. And they truly take a deep dive. They look at our finances. They look at our um, our planning elements. And they look at operations, different things like that. And it's to kind of help people have the tools they need to advocate for better public transit in Greenville. And so anyway, starting in January, we were in the middle of that. And the marketing and um, public affairs manager, Nicole here, really wanted to have some sort of engagement piece. And so I developed this program or just kind of an interactive tool. We called it Blueville. And I tell people it's right next to Greenville. Um, and then the individuals during that and course throughout the CTA program, they actually get to sit down and plan out two or three different routes based off of some guidance that we give them. And I think it's kind of funny because throughout the course of the um, night, they're like, this is so hard. I'm like, yeah, I know it's supposed to be because you're picking things, right? You're picking whether or not to spend money to give people ADA compliant uh bus stops and you're picking whether or not to take them to the hospital or do you take them to the park or do you allow them to get to work or whatnot. So it's a fun game. Kelly, tell us about uh, something that uh, piqued my interest in the magazine article that I read about uh, your your honor here of receiving was that you developed a human trafficking awareness campaign. I know that's something that's uh, actually very important in our industry as uh, public transportation agencies around the country are actually focused on that. Tell us about what you're doing there. Sure. So a while back, there was a grant opportunity that came out from FTA that provided mm -hmm. transit agencies with funding to implement programs on the local level. And so our team sat down and looked through kind of some planning opportunities, things that we could do to engage our drivers and the public to see what we could do to help kind of push out educational information about human trafficking awareness. And um, so I sat down, came up with a program outlined that, ran it by a couple of the nonprofits in the area that are heavily involved in human trafficking awareness and training, and then got several of them on board. We had um, police and then a couple of nonprofits that um, focus on human trafficking, and we were awarded the funding and um, implemented that over the course of a year. That's great. I know uh, my friend Kristen Joyner, who works a lot with uh, transit agencies around the country, is very focused on that issue. I guess lastly, Kaylee, I wanted to ask you about uh, what do you see as the future of public transportation from your perspective? Uh, there's so many new um, innovations coming in from autonomous vehicles to electric vehicles to the new micro transit projects, et cetera. Some people are looking into hydrogen. So those are all the technology side. And coming back out of COVID, of course, a lot of cities are still not back up to the ridership levels they were before because of the hybrid work schedules that people are coming at. Just give us your general take. You're a young person working in the industry. Uh, you'll probably be running the show in, in 10 years. So uh, where do you think we're headed and how do you think we get there? Let me pick your brain a little bit. Sure. So outside of all the things that you listed, uh, I would say that we're headed towards more digital signage at actual bus stop locations, giving people access to real-time information as quickly as you can, despite whether or whether or not they have access to things like smartphones. Outside of that, though, something that I feel like is a trend that I'm full and fully in support of is really integrating access to public transit with other elements. 
right? So we've seen a lot of interest in affordable housing and conversations about how do you take public transit and connect it with affordable housing, which it makes sense, right? But I feel like we're going to see over the next few years kind of more integrated planning from that perspective. I love that. I think that's great. Misha, I can see why you chose Kaylee as one of your four, top 40 under 40 this year. She's outstanding. And and clearly Greenville is getting something right because she is, uh, I think it started with James Keel back in 2019, uh, Nicole McAdden in, in 2020. And now Kaylee is the the latest legacy uh, out, of, out of Greenville to carry that 40 under 40 honorary torch. So they're doing something right. Wow, that's something. Congratulations, Kelly. We wish you the very best as you continue to grow in your career. And thank you for the contributions you're making to our industry today. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind the scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com. Excited to be with one of Mass Transit Magazine's top 40 under 40 honorees, Sapna Shah, who's superintendent at MTA at New York City Transit. Sapna, thanks so much for being with us today on the Transit Unplugged podcast. Thanks so much, Paul Comfort. Yeah. So uh, very excited. I mean, I'm sure you're aware, but the top 40 under 40 um, recognition is significant. I can remember when I was in Baltimore uh, as CEO of the MTA, my head of planning, Kevin Quinn, uh, received that award. I was real happy to give it to him. You know, we we framed it all and gave it to him. And then he went on to become to my successor as CEO of the MTA and now runs TransLink in Canada uh, on the other side. And so, and I've known so many others who this is a, a really key recognition. So first off, I want to say congratulations to you, Sapna. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And when uh, I looked at all the uh, accomplishments you've had, you know, you're a professional engineer, you're a uh, a Lean Six Sigma black belt with 15 years experience in enterprise asset management, reliability engineering, and project management. I mean, you're one of the ones who makes that transit system run, it sounds like, in New York, America's biggest. It sure is. It comes with its own set of challenges. Yeah, we recently had Rich Davey on the show, as you and I were talking about in the green room ahead of time, who was the president of New York City Transit. Tell us about what you do day to day there for the transit system. So I run the asset management team for Department of Buses. Um, so asset management, asset management really just focuses on how do we optimize the resources that we have today to better our maintenance, to target our maintenance strategies better um, and provide a better level of service for our customers. Yeah, that's super important. Um, uh, how many buses do you have there at New York City Metro? Just under 6,000. 6,000 buses. Wow. And, you know, buses aren't easy to come by these days, are they? Brand new ones, right? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's proving to be more and more of a challenge. Um, there aren't too many suppliers out there. So you're trying to work with supplier schedules, um, budget schedules, money's kind of hard to come by, try and shake the tree, see what falls out. Um, so just trying to get the timing on all of these, um, particularly as we're changing our technology as well and trying to go more towards zero emissions. It is changing the playing field and there is a lot of 
um, new challenges and teething issues that comes about with a new technology. Yeah, many folks in our audience probably know about uh, the Buy America requirements for American transit agencies that use federal dollars to procure new buses, but it does limit the availability to just a handful of bus manufacturers, and there are supply uh, supply line issues still when it comes to getting new buses. So the average uh, life expectancy of a bus uh, in the transit industry uh, by federal guidelines is normally 12 years for a major bus. And so if you have 6,000, by my rough back of the napkin figures, you need to get 500 new buses a year or you need to really maintain them very well. And probably both. It's not a, it's not an or, it's an and or, right? Absolutely. And 12 years would be fantastic. But in reality, 12 years isn't quite the frequency at which we change out our buses. So it does um, fall upon us to ensure we're maintaining all the way till the end of life. So tell us about the kind of things that you oversee uh, in asset management to make sure that the buses are safe and reliable for your passengers. Sure. So one of the newer programs that we recently came out with was Asset Condition Assessment Program. And that is a kind of a new method of assessing where our buses are in terms of its life. So we're not no longer just relying on age, um, but are actually doing it based on um, the true condition of our assets. And that kind of helps us understand, you know, when to um, make decisions in terms of overhauls, major overhauls, um, when to retire our buses, you know, which fleets to select for our retirement processes um, and so on. So it, it gives us a much better understanding and transparency into the actual condition of the assets that we're running out there um, and when or how to target our strategies. That's good. What other uh, kind of big projects have you worked on that you're, that you're proud of your accomplishments there? You've got a number of them. So one of the efforts that we have been putting in recently, other than trying to ensure our maintenance programs are more dynamic and um, cater towards the assets and the changes that we're seeing in our assets. Another thing that we're trying to do is put more emphasis on lifecycle cost management, right? And this kind of ties together, not just the maintenance, but also the reliability and of course the cost of doing business. Um, so recently in-house, we developed a lifecycle cost and reliability model for our buses to understand, to kind of better understand how much we are expecting to spend on our assets through its life, right? Whether it's, you know, kind of for budgetary purpose, purposes next year or to set goals for our MDBF and so on. Um, but it gives us a better understanding of what to expect when purchasing these buses across its life. That's great. Another thing that's hot right now in the industry is predictive maintenance. And I know you just completed a two-year pilot to kind of prove the value of prognostic maintenance. I thought this was interesting, using machine learning layered on top of telematics data to reduce in-service breakdowns and the cost of maintenance. Dive into that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's completely cutting edge for us. Um, I know other industries have moved forward with predictive maintenance or prognostic maintenance, but for buses, this is um, brand new and we were able, we were fortunate to find a company and work with the company to kind of develop this process in-house and understand what impact it has on our business, what impact does it have on our reliability, on our KPIs. Um, it proved to be successful through the pilot. We have been able to go out and kind of um, set up a sort of a limited contract to better understand how uh, this would work in on a larger scale. Um, so at the moment, it's still kind of in the development phases. I wouldn't say we're fully there, but yeah. 
the we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And furthermore, rather than just focusing on just the maintenance aspect of it with predictive maintenance, we're trying to move it even further and see if we can use machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict the life of our assets. Mm. Right. And that kind of gives us a better way of gauging when assets come up for replacement. Um, and it completely optimizes the cost as well as the asset life. That's great. Um, for those who may not be over familiar with predictive maintenance, can you unpack what that actually means and how it's used? Sure. It's all about doing the right maintenance at the right time, right? And that, that's that's the goal here. Um, so rather than waiting for in-service interruptions, right? Road calls, that's what we call it in the bus world, or um, doing it based on a time uh, schedule, right? For example, you might run certain maintenance annually or um, every six months. It kind of allows you now to do it completely condition-based. So as an asset requires maintenance, you're performing the maintenance. Um, so you're getting rid of the idea of doing it a little too early or a little too late. You're getting it just right. And you, and you said during the pilot that your initial findings were that it, it was a success, that it may be better for the vehicle than just doing the A, B, and C routine maintenance that we've used in the industry for so many years. Absolutely. And this allows us to modify our schedules, um, our maintenance strategies based on the component that you're talking about, right? Certain components require additional maintenance, whereas others, you can get away with doing kind of the minimum. Um, it it kind of takes care of itself. So this allows us to cater to the different technologies, the different components, the different systems that we have. That's great. Last thing I want to talk about is uh, in addition to the work you do day to day in your agency, uh, you also have co-founded an employee resource group called Empowering Women in Transportation to increase awareness of the gender gap, amplify the voices of women, and provide support and tools for upward mobility. I think that's especially important in the engineering field personally. Um, and so can you tell us more about that group and and what it does? Sure. So we started Empowering Women in Transportation, one of the nine transit employee groups. It started off as a transit um, only employee group. It has now spread to um, all of the MTA, so all the agencies are part of it. Um, so it's one of nine, and this one focuses on the needs and the voices of women, and particularly to bring awareness to the gender gap. At the moment, we're about 18% of the MTA, and across the transportation industry in general, women form a very small um, portion of the workforce, and we hope to change it by making the MTA an employee of choice. An employer of choice. And what what do you like? What activities do you do? Do you have regular meetings? Do you have outreach? What do you do? Both. Okay. <laughs> um, so we have a few outreach programs with um, schools to try and gain more awareness of STEM career options for girls for women. Um, at the same time, internally, we're focusing on providing new opportunities, new roadmaps, new um, developmental tools to bring to bring up the uh, skill level, the the exposure of the women within MTA now. And you've been there how long? Just over five years. Five years. That's great. Um, one last question I guess I would ask you then is, is more future focused. Tell us about what you think about the future of public transportation when it comes to bus transportation. In a lot of cities in the downtown areas now, uh, 
I was just in London recently and they were calling it the 20% issue that, you know, we're just not getting above 70 to 80% of pre-pandemic ridership. And a lot of it uh, revolves around, you know, the changing nature, uh, the dynamics of work schedules that people are working hybrid schedules, maybe don't come into the office on Mondays and Fridays as much. But what do you see as the future of bus transportation in cities across America? I think that's a, that, that question comes across on, on many levels. I don't know if we'd ever go back to pre kind of COVID levels or pre-pandemic levels in terms of ridership or maybe just the patterns that we're seeing in ridership. We should all kind of right-size our service and focus on where additional service is required and provide the best service that is um, possible. But at the same time, we're seeing a huge shift in technology. Every company out there is becoming more aware of being sustainable, the environment, and so on, and same, similar with buses. So as we move towards our goal of zero emissions in 2040, we are seeing huge shifts in not just the skills that we need within, you know, in-house within the MTA, but also the um, the procurement cycles, the routes, the um, the facility challenges, the power challenges that we're all going to be seeing. Um, so there is a significant shift. And likewise, within asset management, we need to kind of refocus our efforts to ensure we are setting ourselves up for the future rather than just building off what we've seen to date. That's wonderful. I think that's important. A lot of folks I've talked to recently have said, you know, uh, I'm tired of looking back. Just what you basically said, you know, let's just look forward and not compare ourselves to pre-pandemic ridership numbers, et cetera. Let's focus on what we're going to do in the future to build uh, really a better tomorrow for our cities. And Sapna Shah, you're certainly a part of that there at our nation's largest transit system. Congratulations on uh, being receiving one of uh, Mass Transit Magazine's top 40 under 40 recipients. We wish you the best as you continue in your career improving public transit in the city and whatever else you decide to do in the future. Great. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Let's talk today about attracting new riders, people who have never used your services before, and maybe even people who don't think of public transit as an option. How do you reach them, and what do you want them to know? When you're thinking about the best channels to reach non-riders, one place to start is with media relations. Reach out to local reporters to offer stories about your services and try to relate those stories to current topics in the news or public consciousness. Gas prices are a great topic to peg your news to, encouraging riders to take the bus to save money. Back to school is also a great time to remind commuters that not everyone has to drive to get where they want to go. Team up with local businesses along your route to make offers of contests, sweepstakes, and giveaways. These are fun opportunities to get more stories in the media and a sure way to attract interest and attention from your regular ridership and the general public. Check out how BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, does this on their Bartable website. Finally, non-riders are, by definition, either driving or walking, so they're not going to see ads in your buses and facilities. But they will see outdoor advertising. This can include billboards and also bus exteriors, your own proprietary rolling billboards. If you'd like to talk more about how to attract non-riders or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Hi, this is Mike Bismarck, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. 
Well, it's an exciting time of year. The holidays are upon us, but more importantly, so is the annual celebration of Mass Transit's Top 40 Under 40. I always love to hear about the new leaders, difference makers, and role models in our industry. It comes at the same time as CUTA's launching their first mentorship program through the Young Leaders Task Force. I've been fortunate enough to participate on the steering committee, reviewing the applications for both mentors and mentees. All great leaders will be the first to share with you those they have worked alongside that have helped guide, mentor, and ultimately shape their careers. As we look at this year's top 40 under 40, the CUTA mentors and mentees, along with all the great mentorship programs within our industry, both on the transit agency side, as well as the business member side, it's easy to stay excited about the future of transportation. The sharing of information, lessons learned, and most of all, honest feedback will always be invaluable. I know I have benefited in my career from a plethora of amazing mentors, some that don't even know the impact they've had on me. I will end with this. It's also a bittersweet time of the year, as November 26th was the ninth anniversary of the passing of one of the most impactful mentors I had in my life for the shortest amount of time, Mr. Cody Ponder, Transportation Director at CART in Oklahoma. Thanks to all of you who continue to mentor. Kindness is cool, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guests, Misha Wanig-Libman, Kaylee Cleek, and Sapna Shaw as part of our Mass Transit 40 Under 40 series. And next week, Paul and Misha are back and talking with Carlos Cruz Casas, Roman Steichen, and Sophia Maylitz Franklin about their careers and their visions for the future of public transportation. And don't forget, to go to transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the loop with whatever's going on with the show, podcast, and TV. But if you have a question, comment, or want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.